Welcome to the AccuSmile Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. I only recently realized that I think a lot of the heart of it actually comes from watching my mom own a small business, who was an owner operator, like most of uh, probably your listeners are and, and most of our customers. And watching her try to do like running her practice outside of her clinical hours where she, it, she didn't want to do it. It was it took time away from us, her kids, because she was having to do bookkeeping and payroll, like all outside of her normal hours. 
think one of the toughest things about designing your future upon graduation is actually taking the time to do it. Especially after three to four years of no money coming in, especially when the people around you seem to have a plan. Especially when you have had such a focus on education and learning that you've lost touch with that person in the mirror. Perhaps you have no idea what you want in your immediate future or even your five-year future, but here's the thing. That is exactly why you should take the time to explore, to ask yourself tough questions. What do you like? Those favorite patients you treated in student clinic, what made them so likable? Are those traits or characteristics something that you want to see more of in your practice? What cases, treatments, modalities, and classes light you up from the inside? What do you find yourself talking about with regards to Chinese medicine? If you do the work in the beginning, if you envision the feel, the experience, and the soul of your practice, it will act as a magnet for those defined elements that bring you joy. You'll be creating an experience for your patients that no other practitioner can. And just like that, I did this work with the AccuSprout podcast. Not everything stuck, and some things, a lot of things actually, are still in the infant stage of development, but the soul of the podcast is starting to shine, and how do I know? because I'm attracting people who share a heartfelt interest in helping you. Not just helping you, but helping everyone. People who are interested in creating a sense of community where by contributing, we all benefit. Here's how I know I'm in the right place and that all of that challenging and tedious digging of the soil of my beginnings was worth it because I get to spend time with inspirational people like my next guest. Today, I'm talking to Allie Taylor, the co-CEO of Jane. And while it seems silly for me to say this at this point, just in case you've missed it, Jane is an all-encompassing electronic health record system and one of the sponsors of the podcast. But this episode is not a sales pitch for Jane. The company did not ask me to do this podcast as part of my contract. I asked them if I could do it as part of my contract because as an ambassador of Jane, I get to see more of the business on the inside. I get to see the soul of Jane, and she has far more to offer a new practitioner than just an electronic health record system. So listen in as I talk with Allie about how to create a company that when customers tell their people about it, they don't say they like it. They say they love it. Um, so, gosh, welcome to the show, Allie. Thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And thank you. I, I wanted to say this too. Thank you so much for sponsoring my podcast, which truthfully allows me to do what I have a passion for, which is helping new practitioners uh, get through those hurdles in those first couple of years. So thank you so much for being a part of my journey. I'm extremely grateful. And yeah, thank you so much. Oh my goodness. That is so my pleasure. We're, I think, our mission at Jane is helping the helpers. I don't know if you have heard that yet in your uh, interactions with us, but it's um, something that our team really rallies behind this idea that we're helping the helpers. And so when we started thinking about even like our marketing dollars at Jane, like where do you want to spend them? It just seemed so appropriate to try to help people within our community that is just sharing their knowledge and helping others. So it's just so aligned. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite ways of of 
spending marketing dollars is just supporting helpers that are helping others. It's really wonderful. So you're doing a great job. And thank you. And I do know this about you because I have used that in some of my marketing for you as well to get the... It's one of the things that rang true with me because that's exactly what I'm trying to do, right? Like I don't want to see people not get out there and practice because they're stumbling over the business aspects and these really challenging hurdles that you have to get through in the very beginning. So it's definitely something that we share this vision of helping helping the helpers get where they need to go. So Jane started in 2011. Tell me a little bit about your journey. What happened up until 2011 that you needed to launch a software, giant software company, electronic health records company? Um, oh, my goodness. Well, there, this story really starts, um, it starts when, with having physiotherapists for parents, actually. But I opened my own practice in uh, 2011. So I guess that's where the story of Jane really begins. And it was a multidisciplinary practice, physio, chiro, massage, naturopath, midwives, counselors, dietitians, very diverse range of practitioners. And this was your clinic? You had all of those people in your clinic? Yeah, yeah. And so what is your background really quick? Sorry, I don't mean to like... No, that's fine. I, um, I actually have a degree in English literature and a minor in psychology. Okay. So the reason how I ended up opening my own practice was that I was running the practice of my parent, like one of my my father's practice um, while I was at school because he needed someone to take over for him. I thought I was going to be an English teacher, actually. And I was really enjoying running the practice. Uh, and I, ha- I just knew some physios that needed space. And my midwives who had delivered my two babies, I was pregnant with my third at the time of opening the clinic. They also needed space. And I was like, well, no problem. I'll just, I can just open something. So we, we can all work. It's, it's not running a practice um, was something that I knew how to do and I really enjoyed. And so I found space and it was eight treatment rooms and I knew I needed um, to fill all eight in order to, you know, have a, a viable business plan for the practice. So I just started interviewing people and looking for more different disciplines to join the practice. It was really, really a fun experience to learn about all the different disciplines and why people chose to do the type of profession that they did. Most people, spoiler, um, they end up in a profession that really impacted them as a patient. So uh, most people just had a very, uh, an incredible experience with a certain type of discipline in their life and then felt so inspired to go into that, that profession. And so it was so wonderful getting to hear all these people's stories and then bringing everyone together into this one practice and seeing how that, you know, could evolve. But during that experience of opening that practice, there was no software. So that was my, that was sort of one of the big problems I was having. I was building this space, putting all these practitioners in, promising them this was going to be an amazing facility and that there was going to be, it was going to, you know, really um, help build their practice. And there was no online booking software for sure. There was none. Like I said, I had two little kids at home, pregnant with my third. And I knew like I can only book appointments at like 1130 at night. And I, I'm certainly not sitting around being able to call clinics in order to make appointments. And so I knew I needed online booking and then electronic charting, the electronic health records, everything is really designed only for a single discipline. And so I didn't have it. There was nothing out there that was going to work for all of my practitioners. Uh, and I knew I couldn't store paper files. People underestimate, I think, the cost of paper charts. Like it is so expensive. So not just like the purchasing of all the photocopying and the shredding and the storage once you 
of the old files and then having space in your practice to store them, it's so expensive. So I knew I couldn't, um, I couldn't afford that because I needed all eight treatment rooms to be income generating space. Uh, so I was complaining a lot and Trevor, my co-founder at Jane, he was building my website. He had a, a branding and digital agency. And then he offered to build me Jane, which was not supposed to be Jane. It was just supposed to be for my practice. And we used it there for a year and a half. So it was really just something that we were using. I was using for the practice for Canopy. And uh, then other people started to see the online booking. And they were asking me, hey, like, what is this software? And then they were contacting um, Trevor, my co-founder, because his website, his uh, his agency was on the bottom of the website. And so we decided to partner. We built it out into a full software, including the whole billing component, uh, and then launched it in 2014. So that's, it was just solving you know, a problem that I originally had, but then it just turns out a lot of people were looking for a beautiful kind of web-based software that could help run their practice. And you're international. So I just want to clarify this because I'm in the U.S. and you're in Canada, right? Yeah, we're. I'm in Vancouver, Canada, BC. Not We have a lot of friends in Vancouver, Washington now that work with Jane. We always have to clarify we're Vancouver, Canada. But yeah, we're across all of North America and the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, Actually, just a smattering in like 35 countries because the internet has no borders, which is quite nice. Yeah. Um, so that's been, it's been the most fun journey. I'm a lifelong learner, as you are. We were talking about all your notes before this. Um, and so I'm having a job that I can continue to learn and grow and, and experience new things every day is like the perfect, the perfect job for me. So it's been really fun. I am so impressed because that seems like that happens so quickly. Or did it just seem like it happens slowly? Because when you're in the middle of it, you're, and you're trying to launch a business and trying to do things, everything seems to go too, too slow, especially with a software company, right? Cause if you have a bug or something that's not flowing, then people's brains explode and they get all crazy. And yeah, people are passionate for sure. How did it, I mean, how was that launch? How did that go for you? It was not super quickly. Like it wasn't a very fast um, growth in the beginning. We really concentrated just on BC and we still don't have a sales team. So I think the we're, we're just growing because the same way you all grow, yes. which is you all, you have your practice, you provide good service and then people tell their friends and family. Uh, or when someone says, hey, um, I'm really wondering about acupuncture. Someone will say, oh, I have an acupuncturist. They're amazing. You should go see them. That is the same way that Jane has grown. It's been this word of mouth growth. And so it did, like, like I just remember coming home at the very beginning being like, oh, we had an acupuncturist sign up today from like Alberta. <laughs> like, really? so excited. And, the, you know, it's like when you get your first patients, you come home, you're like, oh, I, I saw, I treated two people today. And then, you know, everything, you're so excited. And I still feel that way, actually. We still, every single sign up, um, everyone that joins the Jane community, I'm still so excited. We have a channel in our, in our internal Slack messaging and celebrate everyone. But, um, the first 200 customers took many years. And now it's, we're, you know, we're signing up over 50 practices a day. But the initial, it, it wasn't like an overnight. Um, and I love that because it really allowed us to perfect. Uh, Jane and the experience we wanted people to have. And it was a lovely, slow growth that was very manageable, actually. So it's been, yeah, it's been a really a fun experience. But I think that's the same with opening a practice. It's like, it's a very, it's a bit of a slow process at the beginning. You don't open your doors and you're not full right away. Like your, your business plan for your first year needs to assume that there'll be a ramp up. 
because you have to, you know, have to get brand recognition. And unless you're moving somewhere or transplanting a practitioner that already has a full caseload locally, you're going to have a slower start, a slower ramp up. And then even my business plan for Canopy would never have 100% occupancy because you would just never expect 100% occupancy in a clinic. Oh, so your practice was called Canopy. Canopy, sorry. Yeah, that's the, yeah, I'm just winding it down actually. The midwives, the midwives are taking it over. I have a meeting with them on Friday. I'm so excited. They're going to take it over and build out a real healthcare, like a women's health center, which is so wonderful. They're amazing. So, wow. So that's the end of a chapter for you. That was, that was a what 12 year chapter. Yeah. 10, yeah. 10, 12, 10, 11. That's right. My son's 11 now, 12. So yeah, it was a really wonderful part of my story. And I really appreciated the kind of experience of owning a small business. My parents both were small business owners. Um, our Help the Helpers mission is obviously very near and dear to me, having been a small business owner myself. But I only recently realized that I think a lot of the heart of it actually comes from watching my mom own a small business, who as an owner operator, like most of uh, probably your listeners are and, and most of our customers. And watching her try to do like running her practice outside of her clinical hours where she, it, she didn't want to do it. It was, it took time away from us, her kids, because she was having to do bookkeeping and payroll, like all outside of her normal hours. And I was just running a business as my day job. So I did it. I mean, when you're opening a clinic, it's, I was cleaning the clinic at night and, you know, you do all <laughs> the things, but when it was up and running and fully going, it was my day job. I was, I was man a business manager. I was looking at franchising. Anyway, but watching her experience that's where my heart comes from so when I talk to our team about like what we're doing we're supporting these small businesses nobody supports these small businesses and it's a part of their job like this business side of it that they just it's a struggle like it's not fun people don't go into become an acupuncturist in order to run a business so I'm just so pleased that the work we do gets to support people in in a place where they're not generally very supported small business there's not a lot of people championing them so Anyway, I just, um, so I just recently interviewed and was hired by a biomedicine, Western medical doctor part time. And their, their electronic health record system for Western medicine is, is outrageous. Electronic health record system is, it's just a part of what we do now. I mean, I really think that you should accept it too. You're right. Like you don't want paper files. The EHRs have so many things that are super helpful for the flow of your business. Um, but as a new practitioner coming on, it's, it is a challenge financially to start. But ultimately in the big picture of things, you're also totally affordable, especially once you find out that a Western medicine electronic healthcare system costs you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars per month. And it's crazy. So thank you for that. Um, for making it in a way that we can actually afford it as part of our practice. And it, it really does help. So I appreciate that. Yeah. They, well, my, the price point was always designed to be that one, one visit should pay for running your practice for the whole month. And that just is very reasonable. Like yeah, it is. It needs a reasonable amount to pay for a software. And then trying to, we don't have a free trial. Um, like people do pay when they start using the system. And, and the reason for that is just that. We wanted to make sure that people were committed to making the move yeah. over and getting set up and being and having a successful experience. And I always like compare it to your experience as practitioners too. You know, if you give away free treatment, I don't know if you've ever treated anyone free or when you do it for like um, 
workers' comp. But sometimes if people aren't paying out of pocket, it's just fascinating how they devalue. They just don't value it in the same way. They're always the ones that no show. They're all, you know, they're, they just don't have that same investment in their experience. So discount mentality. I totally agree. Mentality. Yeah. 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 So, um, some of the things that, uh, resonate with me in the things that I've discussed on the podcast are especially for new practitioners and nobody loves to do this stuff either, but creating a mission, a mission statement and having core values in your company and, um, I, I mean, I really, when I'm helping new practitioners, it's, it's such a hard sell to get people to sit down and really think about like, what's your mission statement? What do you want to look? What does, cause it defines your clientele and it defines who's going to come see you. And <laughs> I try to get them to get really clear on this so that when they open the doors, it is, it is streamlined. It's branded. People go tell other people and you attract exactly who you want to attract or very close. I've noticed that you have done extensive mission statements and core values and it's on your website and it is actually a joy to read. And it's another reason that I love having you as a sponsor because it's, it's just, it resonates with me too. Right. So that's what it, that's exactly what happens. You attract like, tell me all about Jane, please, because I, it's, it's so unique. It's so refreshing. It's funny that you say that because the first time Trevor and I wrote the vision, mission, and values in an, like an accelerator. So there's these accelerator programs for tech companies. And we didn't know anything about the tech world, obviously. We both came from small business. And we were so, so busy at the beginning. We were obviously doing everything. I was doing every demo and answering every support email. He was building the product and fixing everything. We were so busy. I can't even tell you at the beginning um, how much work it was. And... Then we went to this accelerator and they're like, let's sit down and write our vision, mission, values. We're like, we don't have time for this. Like, so, probably very similar experience to what you, um, what you get when you talk to people about vision, mission, values. And I was so grumpy about it. So grumpy. We wrote, we had to try so many times to try and figure out how to write them. And the funny thing is that it did become quite a central part of our story as we scaled and and it has become something that's been very important to creating the work environment and the team that we really want to be doing this with. And I would say if I'd got, if I could go back, I obviously didn't have vision, mission values for my clinic at the time. This is something we only did at Jane, but I think I, I would take the time to try and be a little bit more intentional. And I used to say that every clinic has a soul and it really does. Like if you walk into every clinic, they're all different. So my, my father had a sports physio clinic, very social very social clinic, like an open area. It was just, I really enjoyed um, working there for years. People would come back and sit in the waiting room just to talk to us. Like they'd be done. Their care is over, but they would just be like, oh, I was just in the neighborhood. And they would, people would be doing their rehab for the same injuries at the same time. And they would book in appointments at the same time so they could work out together uh, and, you know, keep each other company. Like it was a very social practice. And then Canopy was totally different. Eight closed treatment rooms, much more spa-like, much quieter, no open space, beautiful practice. And still just like every clinic is just slightly different. So you do have a clinic personality and a lot of it stems from you or who your practice, whoever you have in your practice. And so I think people just don't understand their uniqueness as part of it. Like it's really hard to, to verbalize your own uniqueness because it's just normal to you. And so sometimes it's a bit easier to ask other people, uh, you know, what do you think if you had to describe me in three words or 
if you have to describe my practice, sometimes it's easier to get someone externally to give you the, that that feedback. But I will say that the the one thing I've also learned about having a very vision, mission, values based business is your mission and your values. They are not aspirational. They should re- reflect exactly how you behave. And so your your mission. Who are you? What are you here for? What is your what is your mission? Who are you serving? And sometimes I think. It, that especially in um, healthcare practices when you're first starting out, that may not be super clear yet. Uh, if you're brand new to practice, you might not know yet what you really love to treat or what you find um, most inspiring. Or but you might, especially depending on your own personal story. A lot of people have a very specific um, type of person or a type or treatment or style that they're really interested in pursuing. So your mission is that your values are how you make decisions. So values are really a lot about, sometimes I've heard them like, what would you fire over? So sometimes it's easier to think about them in the reverse. Like, what would you just be not okay with somebody doing? But the way we wrote our values was we just looked at what we were doing. We're like, what's important to us in the way we work? And we just wrote them down. Mm-hmm. And then that became our values. And then how we've described those has evolved a little bit over time. We're now at um, over 350 employees. And so obviously that looks a lot different than when we were six, you know, sitting around a table. But the values have actually remained consistent over that whole that whole period um, through all these different stages of the business. And they should reflect what you really truly believe in, like what you would fire over. And then your vision can be something that changes over time. And that can be a little more aspirational. Like, what do you want to create? And then as you get closer to that being a reality, you can shift it. You can change it. Your vision can shift a little bit, especially if you're changing and growing over time. So why don't you tell the audience what Jane's mission is? So our mission is help the helpers. So that became like very crystallized. And actually that came from our team because like I was saying, it's hard to, when you're close to something, you're like, what else would it be? Like, it never occurred to me that we needed to say those things in words because we were so passionate about it. I was like, do I really, do we really need to say what we're doing here? Like we're helping the help. This is sometimes where I get stuck in, uh, that's this is why you write, right? This is why you sit down and write about this and ask all the questions or, you know, just yeah. formulate this because so much, especially as I get older, I'm like, well, duh, like, of course, you mean you, you really need me to say that? Um, I know. Yes. 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 Nothing is obvious. Nothing yes. is obvious. Yes. And helping the helpers, like, I can't, it's fascinating how frequently we say those words as we're making decisions. So, when we're trying to decide how to build the product, well, does this, is this helpful? Is this helpful? Are we actually helping? We don't always tell people you should sign up for Jane. So sometimes we'll be like, you know what? We're not going to be the best fit for you. We don't, whatever you have this very specific need, we don't offer that. You should be using this other product because are we going to be helpful to you? That is our goal. And so if we say, yeah, you should sign up and we're not going to be helpful to you, then we're, we're not actually achieving our mission. And so especially early on, it, that can feel strange. Like, People are just trying to get as many people in as they can. But the reality is the customer experience, which is something that we can talk more about if you want, but the customer experience from the moment that they start with your practice through their entire treatment and then beyond, that is what creates that referral network that creates the growth of your practice. And so short-term gain doesn't necessarily create that like long-term success if the person isn't going to be having just a really wonderful experience through all of their interactions with you and your practice. 
Well, that, that's kind of very similar to, obviously, if a new practitioner were to have, like, open their doors and take everybody, as opposed to defining their dream patient. Even And this is something, too, that I talk about with them often, too. Like, even if you don't know, because you're not going to completely know in the beginning. But acupuncturists, we can treat such a broad range of things. And it's fine if you want to be a broad range, full spectrum practitioner, claim that. But sometimes it's easier. And it's also easier, I think, with the algorithms, the way the computers work, like, just pick three things, right? Pick three things in the beginning, and you can always change things. But that, but that's the same thing. So many people, new practitioners, oh my gosh, I just want to grab everybody and bring them in. And I've done this 20 plus years ago, I started a massage practice and I, I opened the doors to everybody. And I, the first two years was just really me, like filtering out the people that absolutely were not working. And then the other amount did exactly that, told everybody. So by year three or four, I, I, I didn't want to go anywhere but to work. I loved my people. I loved what I did. It was so fun having these people kind of like that practice that you were talking about, your parents' practice, like mm-hmm. just a place where people came and they were so happy to be. And that happens. That happens when you define that. And you also gain respect, right? When you say to that person, like, I don't think that I'm really for you, but I do know um, some options. So try this out, you know, and then maybe someday I will be for you, but I, right now, no, you're going to benefit greater by going somewhere else. You, you gain so much respect, professional respect for that. I like how you're talking about how you verbalize that on your website and your bio and sort of thinking about like, okay, well, what could the stages of that look like? Because when you do first open up, you, you kind of need to figure that out. So, of course, we had customers come from certain disciplines. We learned it didn't work for them having Jane. And then the next time someone from that discipline came, we were like, hey, you know what? We've learned that this doesn't work super well for you right now. And here's what you should do. But you do have to have that learning period of like, you're not going to know necessarily. And so I'm just trying to think about like at that first stage when you first open your practice, if you are going to say, okay, I kind of want to be everything to everybody. What is a common, what is common to everybody that you, instead of having saying like, I treat all of these people and all of these things, what is common uh, for all of them that you could kind of bring out into the the way that you describe your practice? So even just talking about like a, a space of calm, like the space that you're having, like I we like my practice is a space of peace and calm, calm, tranquility, um, like whatever it is that could be common across all of them and then pulling that into the way you describe it. And then as you start to like, uh, you can't specialize is a tricky word. I don't know if it's a tricky word for you, but a lot of people aren't allowed to use the word specialist. So you have to say like interest, special interest, or there's some. It is true. It is true dependent upon the state in the U.S. Yeah, there's some language, some tricky language concerns around saying that you specialize in anything because there's education requirements or. So saying just special interest or experience with or and then pulling obviously from your life is the most valuable thing. So if you were a certain type of athlete saying in your bio, like, I was a cyclist or I am a cyclist and I love treating cyclists. And this is like, is so helpful. What was your um, what was your mission and vision? Like, how did you articulate the kind of practice that you were building um, as a massage therapist or as an acupuncturist? Oh, either I, one. I reinvent. I think I've just done nothing but reinvent my entire life. Yeah. Um, as a massage therapist, this is good conversation because originally, and I talk about this often too on the podcast, but originally I wanted to work with pregnant women and babies 
wanted mm-hmm. to do prenatal and um, infant massage, but I have a bachelor's degree in exercise science and business. Okay. And so I moved, so I moved to, um, Boise when I was like 26. And so I had my degree and then I got my massage license. And then, um, I tried to network. I, I also did not have children, was not married, you know, like, right. and yeah. I, I, I tried and tried and tried and knocked on doors. And I even went to the Leche League meetings, right? Like it was so crazy how hard I was trying to break yeah. into this and get referrals. And I, it never, happened it did yeah. not happen and i was like racing bikes at the time kind of like you just said like oh, okay. i was i was racing mountain bikes and i was yeah. learning how to how to do this stuff like i was kind of getting enmeshed in the cycling community at the time and i was like what what am i doing like why don't i just um become a sports massage therapist i like it uh, these are my people and so i called in, in boise all of the bike shops at that time had to put on a race so it's a big racing community it's it's big yeah. so Kristen armstrong lives here who's our gold medalist like three-time gold medalist right. for cycling yeah so it's a big deal so the cycle so they all had to put on races and so i called every single bike shop i called the y the ymca and i asked if i could um put up a tent at each of their races at, at the finish line so that i could do uh recovery massage uh, and then I also said, I'm going to charge money. Exactly yeah. like your mentality. Like, I am not doing this for free. And yeah. I did that for an entire summer. I did the entire mo- mountain bike, Idaho mountain mm-hmm. bike races all summer long. Like, every single weekend was booked with a vendor tent and a trip to somewhere. And my tent and my dog and just working my butt off. But I was also booked within six months. I mean, no, not yeah. six months, six weeks. I mean, it it just... It just yeah. cascaded and I, I never like looked you, back. Like it was great. I like what you said there. Two things. One is that your vision, mission values, like it, it, they can evolve over time. Mm-hmm. Cause I think the end of the blocker that people have when they try to build out this kind of idea is that it's going to be set in stone for forever. And what if it, you know, I'm like just try something. And yes. if it doesn't fit, you can evolve it over time. Yes. Um, but it is language that is helpful when you're, especially with staffing. I think that's where staffing and then communicating. Like you said, we put it on our website. Every single person that applies, they say they read them. And one of the reasons they applied is because they want to work somewhere like that. And so your description of those types of things on job postings, I don't know if you've ever tried to hire someone off of job postings or if you've gone into a job board, every post is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And there, there's like nothing to differentiate them. It's like there's just all these practices. So uh, something that helps you to stand out a little bit um, is is only helpful and giving people sort of an idea of attracting the kind of person that you want to work with. So your clinic does have a soul. Your practice will have a soul. You will have a certain style or a certain feel. And if you're hiring people, you want someone who matches that. And so the best way to attract those people is to describe it. It's just describing it and putting it into words and putting it out there and on your website and in the world. And that will attract the, the right patients to the right clientele. Yes. So I like that. It can evolve. Yeah, it can evolve. It can evolve. And they want to relate. Right. So yeah. it's, it's helpful if it's relatable. And that was my biggest lesson there. I just wasn't relatable yes. to a bunch of right. pregnant women. They were like, well, you know, I mean, you can be, I think I, you can eventually get there, but I needed to eat. I needed to build a business and I, I just got tired of it, of trying. And I was like, you know what? This, I'm just going to turn it, turn this around and give this a shot. Um, and honestly, too, it's fascinating because it, it took it 
For me, I'm a slow grower. My confidence level is not giant in the beginning. Slow gainer on like moving forward and finding where I need to be. And I know I'm not the only one, so I'm okay with this. But uh, this happened with my acupuncture career too. Like I moved to a place I didn't, I ultimately didn't really feel like I fit there. I was in Bellingham, Washington, just south of you. And it, I, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. But it, I just, um, and I went in with like this open attitude. My original attitude was like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want to do. And I didn't define anything mm-hmm. and nobody came. And, um, you know, then when you throw in a pandemic and anyway, I've moved back to Boise again and. I have been here two months. I've gotten a really cool job that I'm going to start part-time and then I'm going to open my own clinic part-time. And I, I have so much force in this hose behind me right now. Like my friends, my old clients know I are starting to learn I'm back and I just need to find a space and it's just going to go gangbusters. And I know it. Yeah. I can feel it. So it takes, it takes evolution, doesn't it? Totally. And I think the, I mean, I was mentioned before that I'm a learner. I think. A lot of people are lifelong learners. But the thing about being a lifelong learner is that you have to believe that you don't know everything <laughs> because there's no learning unless you start from a place where you don't know the answer. Yeah. And so I think there is there is power for sure. And just being like, it's OK that we don't know. We don't know all the answers to everything. And then but the unknown is always quite scary. So taking the first step is is really like opening the practice. I've never done that before. You just have to just keep trying the next thing and learning learning how to do it. And then you just keep iterating and improving as you go. So yeah, but you seem a little you seem a little bit fearless. How did this happen? Like, I am hugely afraid of hiring anybody. Oh, Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I I can never I cannot envision myself at all. That is the scariest thing for me. I can't even imagine having a clinic with multiple people that I have to, you know, multiple personalities, things going on. Um, Yeah, managing humans is definitely uh, especially in the healthcare space. I say this a lot to people who are managing healthcare practitioners because people can find it over frustrating or overwhelming, but healthcare practitioners, they have to believe that they can help people. Like they have to believe that they are capable of healing people and of doing this work. And that comes with a certain type of personality. And that type of personality is actually probably a little bit more difficult to manage on the scale of zero to 10. But it also is what makes them amazing at their jobs. And so I think a lot of managing humans is just recognizing like the flip side. I think personality traits are all on a continuum. And I think that personality traits are are not inherently good or bad. They're just what they are. And they either exhibit in ways that are helpful or unhelpful. True for ourselves, too. So I always try to give myself grace in areas where I don't like the way that my personality exhibits recognizing that it also helps me in other ways that I am the way I am. And so that's the same with managing people. It's just recognizing the flip side of their, like the part about them that is making this difficult also makes them a very successful practitioner. So just like trying to understand that humans are multifaceted in that way. But yeah, managing people, it's, you have to, you have to be a a student of the human being, I think. So I think you have to I mean, it may be similar to treating patients, right? We have to treat patients where they are. We have to see not only like how, especially with Chinese medicine, what language do I I need to speak in order for them to understand how this, like a little Mm -hmm. bit how this is going to work? You know, you can't, you can't just walk in and start talking about chi to people. 
Right. Uh, that's not going to work for everybody. And, and, you know, same flip side, you can't talk about the neurological aspects of Chinese medicine right. on, with Western languaging to everybody either. It sounds like you'd be a very good manager. <laughs> you got it. You already got it figured out. Oh, I don't know. I think it would just drain my life force right out. I don't think I'd be able to do it. <laughs> yeah, you have to really want. I know it was it, it's hard to give up um, control of anything. But there's a lot, especially for practitioners now, there's so many VA options. Like, I don't know if you've ever looked into this virtual world, but it's pretty, seems, I've never done it, but we work with a lot of um, different organizations that are offering VA services now. Seems kind of magical to me. Yeah, you can, the tech world is, uh, this is also another thing that I talk about to the new practitioners often. Like, if you don't have, get, get a finger hold on the tech world a little bit and understand and, and. Uh, find a little bit of comfort in that space, you're missing out on a lot. Um, and you're making more work for yourself. So I totally agree with you because there are like answering services, uh, you know, yes, I totally agree with you. There's a lot of things. Even the online booking that, so obviously Jane was in, practically invented so that I could have online booking at the clinic. And even in the, I only had one administrate, like one front desk staff for eight treatment rooms because so much of your admin work is just booking appointments. Yes. And so online booking took, like, they talk about technology can be just like assisting humans, doesn't have to replace humans, but it does just give the opportunity for the humans to do more of the human-based work that machines can't do, like the relationship building. And there's like just so many things that machines can't do that they're not very good at, but there's a lot that they are very good at. So just choosing what parts you give to a machine and what parts a, a system. Although we... Jane hopefully doesn't feel like a system. I'm always trying to make Jane feel like a member of your practice. One of the things that impresses me about Jane is that there is help. People do listen. You do have multiple avenues for people to reach out and help resolve what's in front of you. Because that is one of the biggest things that was scary for me in the beginning. And I didn't start with Jane. I started with another company. And that was... Man, anytime there was a tech issue or anything that I didn't understand, it was really hard because you have the patient standing right in front of you. You've got another patient oh, waiting. Embarrassing. And it's just embarrassing. Oh, honestly. yeah. Like, and I can't get a card to run or I can't get an appointment to schedule or whatever. And I'm just like, well, what do you do? You're, you've got everybody. You're handling everything. Yeah. Um, but that is something that I like about Jane. Not only that, you have created a community, even with like your Facebook page where people help each other. That was such a good thing. That was thing to me. I mean, this, we have, I think there's over eight, there's 8,000 people, I think, in the Facebook community. And so that, that was, yeah, it wasn't, it was incredible to me. I'm so excited to see that that has evolved in that way. I think the first time that I really, um, understood just how wonderful this was is somebody asked for like a whiskey recommendation in there or something it's something totally not related to Jane and I was like oh now this feels like an actual community of people you know when they're in there asking for help around things that are Jane or aren't like there's a lot of just clinic conversations in there that aren't necessarily Jane related and I'm just like that like that helped the helpers mission I'm like this is helping people this is helping people that there's this area and then we we do moderate it so we're we're very intentional about not allowing like foul language or negative like too much. If you're if something's overly negative, I'm like nobody wants to read that. Nobody wants to listen to you. There's enough places on the internet where you can go and complain about things, and so we're like we try to keep it yeah. positive with moderation. 
it's an interesting line to walk, but I'm like, I don't want our community to be a place where people just go and complain about stuff. I'm like, we're improvement minded for sure, but you should be going in there and feeling good and getting help. And, you know, it should be an enjoyable place to be. That's part of, that's part of our mission and what we want Jane to be both like the software, our workplace, our community. Like that's what the other thing we were talking about earlier is that customer experience and customer experience and patient and clinic, like patient experience for clinics. It comes with every single interaction they have with your, you and your brand. Every single one. It's like your website. It's your voicemail. It's how your reminders are worded. It's your marketing content. It's every single one of those creates a personality. It creates how they know you as a, as a brand and as a company. And so that's, it's something that I think a lot about with Jane and I'm weirdly obsessed over every experience being hopefully a positive one. But the same is true for clinic. Like every every time that the, who you works at your front desk, how you have even your website. I called our my website was like the it's the front it's the waiting room on the internet. It's like it's people walking in the front door for the first time. It's your website if they're doing online research. So how important that is that that reflects everything about you in a very consistent way. You don't want that website to feel different than when they actually show up. So having your language very clear across that whole journey, you're advertising everything. So how anyway. did you how did you put all of this together? What was the process? What is the process with creating a patient experience, with creating a, a, an extremely positive patient experience? Teach me. Yeah, patient experience. Well, I uh, honestly, I'm, I'm in, like I said, I'm an English major, and I think language and communication is just so fundamental to the way that humans interact. And so I've always been very, very specific about language. Um, re- so in Jane, you can customize almost all your, your language. You can customize just a lot of things. And so part of us being multidisciplinary and serving many disciplines is that Jane has to be flexible, obviously, because every discipline operates in just a slightly different way. But what I also learned is within disciplines, everybody operates in a slightly different way. So you're going to put two acupuncturists next to each other and you're going to have a completely different style of practice. And so if someone is working with a software that's just built for a single discipline, it's often not flexible enough to accommodate all the different styles of practice even within a single discipline. Um, And so we just did a customer story and they did a, it's a quote, it's a wonderful quote about language being what create it's tribal. It was what creates your tribe and this community and how she, they're from the um, LGBTQ community. So she was just talking about the importance of language and communicating in a way that makes it clear that this is her, this is her tribe. This is who she's working with. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to actually customize your language across that entire experience I think is really important. So it should match. The way that you speak as a practitioner should match the way that your website speaks, should match the way your reminders show up, should match. It should match. It's creating this experience. that It's like a Disneyland. Is, you know, some people talk about, they're like really amazing experiences that you can have. That's the bar that I think everyone should be trying to get to. However, it's not an easy bar to get to, and that's why not everyone is there. It does take a lot of thoughtfulness about where are your customers or your clients interacting with your brand? Like, where are all of those touch points? In tech, they call it the customer journey. I have issues with breaking the customer journey down into like these really separate segments because I don't think that that's how humans actually interact. I think we are, we interact as a whole with an entire experience. 
Um, but it's really, yeah, just thinking about all those moments that your your client might be interacting with you, the ones that you have control over and the ones that you don't. But some you do, your Google reviews, your Facebook reviews. How will someone talk about you when someone says, hey, do you like your acupuncturist? That's an interaction that you don't have any control over. But what what can you build in to make that moment a good one? Where did the name come from? Jay. Yeah, well, we we were looking at a lot. So obviously, Jane didn't have a name for a long time. It was just my software that I used for my practice. And then when we started looking at licensing it to other people, it obviously needed an actual name. And we did many, many, many sessions of branding exercises trying to figure out what we wanted to call Jane. But we did know like a lot of the competitors in this space were very clinical sounding, like clinic master, clinic server, like kind of like these different names put together, two clinical names shoved together. Um, and then we also aren't discipline specific. So we knew that we needed something that was going to be appealing to a broader group. And then we did know from the very beginning that we wanted Jane to feel like a member of your practice, like something that was actually going to be there to, to feel like a, a member of your practice. And so we looked at personification, um, and different options around that. And then Jane was just easy to spell. It was easy to say. It felt like. You know, that was going to be helpful for people. Uh, unfortunately, Jane, the URL was sold like a week before we asked the person about it. Some woman in the UK ended up selling it to a magazine company or something. So we ended up with janeapp.com, which now is jane.app. And then oddly, all of our customers started calling us Jane App, even though we never did. But but Jane, and then the other part was we really wanted people to be able to use use the name in their practice like so you wouldn't say like look in the schedule you'd say mm. oh look in jane like jane has it it's jane and the number of times people have emailed and said jane's like our employee of the month and like it just like makes me so happy i just love it really it really connected with people and it's it's helped to create that sort of feel that jane is a part of people's practice like this is part of of your life so that's where this isn't accidental out. marketing, though. This is this was uh, this was with intentional, yeah. a bit of genius too. Because the other thing that I have seen, it's almost like CJ Run is clever. CJ Run is super clever. Um, Not everyone knows those readers, but yeah, it did. It's very you know clever. The yeah, but what I see more is because you humanized it. What mm -hmm. I see more is the word love. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's so funny. I did a talk recently in the tech world, and I really talked about the power of making people feel something. And I think it's not always understood how important feelings are and how much of a, like, they really are powerful for for your business. And I think that is understood in healthcare, though. I think acupuncturists, I think you would all understand that how someone feels is a very important part of the experience yeah. they have with you. But in the software world, that is not true. How someone feels about their experience with you is oddly not really considered all that much, which is so strange. So we like feelings is a huge part of, of how we look at our business. I think it's like I would really lo love our customers to feel the way that those patients did when they came back and sat in the waiting room at the clinic I was working at, like that is, that is good business right there. Like, and it's, it aligns so nicely with the way that I want to treat people anyway. I'm like, this is how we want to treat people. And it's good business. Like that's a magic combo. So I think for practitioners too, it's the same. Like, how do you make people feel? 
Uh, that's that Maya Angelou quote, yes. like, you know, they don't remember. Yes. I don't know, remember the exact what quote. You said, but they don't remember you what said. you did. They remember the way that you made them feel. Yes. And that is not just whether your treatment is making them feel better, like objectively, like, oh, I, I am healed from my pain or whatever. It is how you made them feel overall. And the psychological aspect of healthcare, I think, is completely underestimated. Like making people feel cared for mm-hmm. does not happen in their life. The fact that they walk in and they tell you about themselves and you listen, I think that is completely undervalued. But all of those things in combination become part of their their experience. And even like if you have a front desk or staff and they're not having to call constantly, but they can actually engage in a conversation with the person sitting in the waiting room, that's part of that whole experience. That person is going to refer, is going to be far more likely to refer whether the treatment they received was completely successful in, in whatever their outcome was that they were hoping for. It's all it all in combination is creating their um, that feel and that creates referrals. And I, we didn't intend that to be Jane's story. It's just how we wanted to treat people. But it is what happened. It, it is, is how we ended up growing without a sales team. And it, it's not weird in the healthcare space like to grow that way. Just provide a great experience and people will share. But it is weird in the tech space. But it so. also, but it, it it's kind of cool because you. You took the experience in your parents' waiting room and you recreated it in Jane. Trying. Yeah, I'm hoping. And, you know, it was really terrifying to me. I didn't know if we were going to be able to scale that because obviously when I was doing all the calls, that was easy. It was easy for me to have ultimate control over it. But now that we have a team of over 100 people doing those calls, how how do you maintain that? And so scaling that has been like just a fascinating experience. We're very intentional about it. I do a call with every support person and go over all the pillars of what the role looks like and what I'm what we're hoping to achieve and how that looks and that goes back back to your languaging again, right? Like you had to take everything that you've created and somehow put that into a job description and try to attract the flow of that kind of uh situation, like pull that from a human being really. Like Super, super fascinating. Yeah. And if you're so scaling, that's one thing, but even creating that within your own practice and figuring out how to do that even without other humans is also a really interesting exercise to just think about all of those, all of those places. And that's where even circling back to that mission, vision, vision values and using those as an anchor for what do I want to communicate? How do I want people to feel when they, when they work with me? Um, and then does that language of even your bio or how you're describing your treatments or does that all link back together um, to this experience? Like, are they going to be surprised when they walk in and it's nothing like what you described on the, in your bio? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I have done and that I have suggested that people do and that I have learned through tons of just, you know, lifelong learning um, is is to find out who who it is that you want to come in and not only just know yourself, right? But de- but determine like what does it look like when people come in and your your practice is working really really well? And then using that language back on your like what would they say to you? What would they say their problems are? What would they say um if you helped them? And then using that language and even putting that on your website. Hey, are you, are you this, 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 and this? Are you tired of this? Are you 
looking to feel like this? Are you, well, that's what we do, right? That's how, that's how we like to work. I love your example of thinking about when it's going well, because I do find that sometimes writing to a generic, hard, fake audience is really difficult. Yeah. But if you have that one client, you're like, I want more like that person, like that, they're a whatever they are, they're a weekend warrior, they're a mountain grazer, like all of these things. But even you can actually write specifically to that one person. Mm -hmm. Or you can say like, I recently had the pleasure of working with this person and this is what we did. And, you know, you can even tell the exact story. You can ask permission. You can. And then knowing that you've worked with some that exact person will bring more of those people. So sometimes writing to a generic audience is really hard. But thinking about one person that you really love, it's a lot easier to write to them or about them and then publish that. Tell me about the exit. Tell me like the journey, the journey, right? Because there's a beginning, a middle and an end to the journey. There's always going to be an end. How do you, how do you allow people or whatever people decide they're done or they close their clinic or whatever? How important is the end? I'm not sure if you mean an exits for. I'm just curious about Jane. So, so. Oh, Jane. Yeah. Yeah. Because I quit. So we're on a software right now to doing this Mm -hmm. recording. And there are a a, a lot of, not a lot, but there are, you know, you take your top five and they're all very similar. Mm. And I decided to change to this one from one that I really, I loved their customer service. I loved their journey. I loved the people. I loved so many things, but ultimately they didn't have the last little tidbit of tech that I needed. And so I had to go. And the fascinating thing about that is I've, I've done that with two companies in this podcast. And one of them took me off of their email list and one of them did not. Oh, interesting. And I think that per- that company that took me off of their email list was that was a big mistake. Hmm. Because I love getting this other company's email. Like they have some yeah. really great helpful podcasting information. Um when they have what I need again, I might go back. So well, there's this that's why I'm saying like there's an really? exit and there's an exit with our patients and I'm sure mm-hmm. there's exits with Jane too. There's ends. Yeah. I think it's funny, even going back to that conversation we're having about the customer journey, like there's people that haven't started at your practice yet. There's people that are part of your practice and there's people that maybe are no longer with your practice. But I always think that these, these are not finite, like moments in time, they can always circle back. And I think customer is a difficult term because I'm like, really anyone with a small business in healthcare, we should treat, I would like to treat as if they're our customer, no matter whether they're pay, currently paying for our product or not, they are still part of this group of people that we care about. And so when people do, we, we've had people leave and then come back. So same as you, it's like if, if we ended up like we didn't have a feature they needed, but then as we, if we have one, if we add it, they may return to us. So you want to make sure that you're always ending well. So ending well and starting well, I think are both equally important. And this was true when I was working in practice. It was always so fascinating to me when people would like practitioners would leave the practice. And they would just have the worst ending. Like it would just be people are, there's feelings that are hurt. Like going back to feelings, we're humans. People feel betrayed. They feel hurt. And then someone will leave and they, they wouldn't tell anyone where they were going. Like the person would leave and then it would be like, you're dead to me. And I'm like, it's, it's patient. It's, it's client choice. Like if a client has a relationship with a practitioner, they're going to find them. So you may as well 
you know, have a positive experience there. And I've had practitioners return. So I think it's really just important that ending, ending well, like people should understand the value of that. Also, it's just like, just treat people the way you want to be treated. Like, <laughs> Let's I don't know why that's so complicated. But yeah, we've had people, we've had people leave and return. Um, and same, we leave people on the newsletter and we hope that it, you know, eventually will become, it's, 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 the bar is ours to meet, to be good enough for people to, um, to choose us. Like that's our responsibility as a, as a software provider. And I would say as a healthcare provider, it's also helpful, I think, to refer to other people if you don't think you're going to be able to solve their problem or meet their need. And we didn't talk about this either, but I do really think there's huge benefit in referring to other people who are more interested or specialized in a certain type of treatment. They're going to do the reverse mm-hmm. to you. So some people also are really competitive with yes. local providers, especially yes. of the same discipline. But honestly, the more providers there are of your discipline, the more normalized your discipline becomes, the more people just think, hey, maybe I should go try that. And so I think there's just this, there's this false divide in thinking that people who are doing the same thing as you are stealing from you or could steal from you. And I think there's a lot of um, opportunity in creating relationships there within your community. I'm a huge proponent of this. Uh, Rising tides raise all ships is that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree with that. Like, that's very important. That's, that's the messaging that I'm getting in my podcast interviews with people who've been in it for 20 years. It's a very important aspect. Um, I have another question before we probably should start winding down, but I have another question before we go. I, I think this mentality of not having a sales team, that doesn't mean you do have a sales team. It's just not defined as such. You're, you're helping the helpers in, in helping the helpers, like in helping me, uh, you're empowering me to empower people to make the choice to, to choose Jane. You're, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think you probably can say it way better than I can. So I'm going to let you talk. You're right. There is a mentality to, to not having, so we don't have any outbound sales, which is typically what a uh, sales team would be doing like dialing out yeah. and trying to com- you know get people to do to do demos we have a support team that does inbound demos and so obviously at the beginning that was me so you need someone to be showing the product so i would go to every um conference and stand at the booth and do the demos and then inbound but we still for every person that does a demo three people sign up so there's still two people who never do a demo, never talk to our team and just sign up aut- autonomously yeah. because they, they don't, they don't need to do it. So, um, yeah. And then like I was talking about before splitting up the customer journey, I've actually experienced this with a clinic recently, which was fascinating. I had a very sales experience calling a clinic, trying to figure out if I wanted to be a patient. It upset. I was like, yeah. no. Like, this is terrible. Like, no, I don't know, especially in like the healthcare space. Oh, there's packages and I don't know. It just felt so terrible. I was yeah. like, I, I, I'm like, I'm out. No. And so it was really important to me that the mentality was not a sales mentality, mm-hmm. but a support mentality. And so we didn't divide that journey up. So even still at, at our size now, we have people that help teach people how to do demos, but the people doing the demos are still the same people that are going to support you after you sign up. And the other weird divide that happens is that people sell and they're paid to sell, but then they don't do the support. And so they're, 
they'll tell you anything to get you to sign up. And then the poor support team has to be the ones that are supporting these people when all of a sudden it's like, no, this offer can't do that. And so it was important to me that we had that consistency of experience. So you were talking to the same people doing demos that you are after you've signed up. That is the same group of humans. They're not separated into these different sections of like the journey. So it's consistent. So you feel like you're having like the same experience across the entire time that you're working with us. So yeah, the mentality of sales is fascinating. It's, the sales isn't really a mentality that happens that much in healthcare, though. Do you think? Do you? Well, acupuncturists, Chinese medicine practitioners in the United States often are not covered by insurance. So therefore, they actually have to build their own and and or getting a job in a hospital or something like that. Getting a job is also um, it's happening more and more, but it's it's not prolific. So we yeah. do have to start our own practices and we do have to figure out how, how to market. How to marketing. Yeah. And I would say marketing and sales are two different things. Yes. And networking, right? uh, And uh, totally. And I would say that for sure, that's like marketing uh, 100% is obviously required. And I I think I'm just like, I'm probably always selling. Like anytime I talk to them, I'm like, let me tell you about Jane. Like I'm probably always selling because I actually really do believe Jane is an amazing tool for a practice. And so I'm hopefully uh, that's true. So when it's actually helpful for people to use Jane. But yeah, marketing for sure. And I think practices is, is, we could talk for a long time about how hard it is to, to learn how to market a healthcare practice. And yeah, it's, it's incredibly challenging for people to shift the way that they think as, because practitioners typically are not. No, no. And that's the, that's the pushback. That's the pushback. But you can, but you can, and we can like maybe. Maybe another time we can actually dive into into marketing and marketing in a practice because obviously you've done that a lot. Um, but I I choose to think about it. I, I I'm a networker, and the mm. way that and the way that I go into that, my mentality behind that, I don't I'm not into sales either. But I but I am a networker, and I approach every single interaction with every single human being. This is always playing in the background. Like, what do I have? What do I know? How can I help? Uh, who do I know that can help them? And it doesn't even matter what they need help with. They need a fence. I know people who can help you build a fence. Right. You're a connector. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, let me tell you who who does that. That has, yeah. and I'm a natural connector because I'm always thinking. I'm like, oh, I know, I know. And it's because I did massage forever. I knew everybody. Like, I knew so many people. And I oh, was yeah. always attaching people, small business people, trying to help them. And in doing that, we go back to like, in doing that, I was their number one massage therapist. I was their number one person in it. So it's very similar, like not forced networking, but traveling through life, meeting people and thinking about like, what are, what are their needs? You know, do you feel like healthcare practitioners, like as soon as you say what you do in any group setting, a hundred people want to talk to you about whatever is going on in their life. Like, I just feel like it is, there is like a, there is a curiosity and a natural, as soon as you say your role in a group, it feels like there's going to be people. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, and, and I've had discuss- discussions about this with like my extroverted practitioners that I graduated with. And so even talking to like my friend Travis, who's super extroverted, never stops talking. Like I said, what's your best place to get patients? Like, how do you, how are you marketing? And he said, backyard barbecue. I like that you were just talking about their recognizing something about yourself that feels easy and then leaning into yeah. it. 
I think too frequently people listened to a, listen to all this advice and feel very overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Like I need to start doing all of these things. But there's some, gonna be something that feels like a more natural fit for you. There's lots of ways that you can market or build a practice. And so I think a little bit of self-awareness too is important for recognizing what feels easy to you. I call these superpowers at work. Again, it's something that's hard to see about yourself because usually it feels easy to you and hard for other people. So I always say to people, what do people say to you? Like, what are they always so amazed that you can do? Like, they're just like, oh, that was so easy for you. And you're just like, yeah, of course it was easy for me. (laughs) It's not easy for everybody. That's the secret. And if you can kind of figure out what those things are and then lean into them, those are your superpowers. They're freebies. Like, you don't have to work that hard to do them, but they usually do provide some sort of freebie that you can kind of harness in some capacity. So obviously, writing uh, is something that I find easy. And so writing and communicating through written word is something that like I should I can should be doing more of. It's like an easy thing for me. I could just be communicating that way. But for other people it might be different like creating little videos that you post yeah. on Instagram. Your Instagram feed's amazing. So Oh gosh, thank you. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um just to figure out like where those where those freebies are for you and what do you enjoy doing and then using those as much as you can to your advantage. So ask people, go ask people. What do you think I'm really good at? Like what do you what am I really good at that I don't even understand? Because we never, ever value our own, our own strengths. We just think they're easy. And it's not, it's not easy for everybody. Thank you so much for, for acknowledging the Instagram account. While you were talking, I was like, um, social media feels extremely creative. If you're a creator, if you're a creative person and you like art and you like, like getting on Canva and designing all of the social media is incredible. And you like language. Like yeah. creating content can feel very fulfilling. Once you get your groove and get your time slots down a little bit, once you learn it, it can be fun. And so that's been sort of my creative outlet. That's not easy for everyone. I feel like you should do, you should do templates or something that you can you can sell to your community. You know how that this is. There's so many things, and I did actually look at uh, creating sellable. You know, it's templates that I could sell. I did. Um, you're, you're right. Like, I don't need something to do. I don't need. I'm telling you that I bet you everyone listening right now is just like so scared of Instagram. I think everyone's just like, I would have no idea where to start. I don't know what I would post. Like I bet the fact that you just are like, oh, it's so easy. I bet everyone's just like, shut up, Stacy. It's not easy. Tell <laughs> Stacy that it's not easy for you and that this is her superpower and she doesn't know it. No, I just took a lot of, I spent a lot of time learning how to do it. I spent a ton of time. Yeah. Same thing with the podcast. It's like, you know, I didn't go get a doctorate degree. I learned how to podcast. It takes a lot mm-hmm. of energy and a lot of time. Yeah. I just as a side note, um, I'll put it in the show notes, but I did do an episode on content marketing and social media. Oh, so <laughs> so you guys check this, check the show notes if you, if you want it. all of my 411 on how to do social media. Um, okay. So is there anything else, any last words of advice before we close this down that you have for new practitioners? Um, new practitioners. Yeah. I just think that opening a practice, like when you're first getting started can feel like a lot. It, it just is a lot. You're doing a lot. And so be, be patient with yourself. Like it is a lot there. You have to spend more than you make at the beginning. And that's very scary. It's a scary place to be in. Um, but it, 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 it is worth it. It is worth it. Clinics are really magical places. And I think really digging deep into that, like the soul of your practice and, and take pride in what you're doing. You're doing something awesome. And um, I hope that you can be proud of being a clinic owner, even with all of the 
difficulties that come with it, it really is something that I think um, you should be proud of. So congrats is what I want to say. Congratulations. We're so excited for you. And I want to come and visit your practice and feel the feels and uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. Oh, and if you're a brand new practice just starting out, we do have a discount. Um, we don't do discounted services because normally we what we charge is, you know, a very fair price for Jane. But when you are first starting out, you do have to spend more than you make. And it is difficult. And I, having done that, I know that. And so um, for brand new practices, we do have a three-month discount. So let us know if you're opening a brand new practice and you want to work with Jane and we can help you out as you're getting started. And you guys can use the code ACCUSPROUT1MO for Ooh. that. And that's in the show notes as well. And again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been actually a really, really fun conversation about business to have with you. And we may have to have you on again and talk about marketing and networking because I'm completely intrigued to hear what you have to say as well. So thanks again for being a sponsor and thanks for being here today, Allie. Yeah, thank you for having me and um, appreciate the the time to speak with you and your and your audience. I'm so, so excited, such a huge fan of all the work that you're doing and your audience, your listeners. So thanks for having me. Until next time. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it.